Hello and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Let's get stuck in. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Today on today's podcast, Corey as always. Corey. Jason, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. And Corey is going to introduce our guest for this evening. Yeah, we are, June, we are joined by uh, Luke Hatfield. He's a digital sports journalist at the Express and Star and he's, he's going to talk to us about West Bromwich Albion. Luke, how you doing? I'm good, thanks for having me on guys. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you being you know, able to take the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, big game for, I'd say, both teams, really, um, on Wednesday. Um, after the weekend's results, uh, Derby, obviously, uh, drawing one all with the with their fiercest rivals, with a pretty poor performance, to be perfectly honest with you, and uh, a point stolen, I think, more than anything. But uh, that, that, that's the benefit. And, of course, yourselves, Luke, uh, with West Brom, you know, Trying to trying to fight off Brentford, I would have thought for that uh, for those automatic top two spaces, and obviously challenging for for the actual championship that yourselves with Leeds. Um, mm. Before we go into more about the actual game on Wednesday, um, since the restart, how, how do you think the Albion have done? It's been a weird one, I think, for Albion since uh, since uh, the end of you know the lockdown, which uh, a lot of people didn't think was ever going to end. I don't think. Um, but yeah, they started a bit sluggishly. Um, you know, that long break, it's, it certainly took its toll in terms of rust and, and, and actually being ready, you know, match sharpness. Um, they opened their account with a, with a pretty drab nil-nil draw with uh, Birmingham City. Um, albeit, you know, there was, a, there, was a, there was a couple of factors in that game which probably works against Albion. I mean, it was the first time playing a, a derby, of course, behind closed doors. There was no fans there, which is obviously a big deal for any kind of derby game but then the way Blues set up they, they weren't very adventurous at all they were they were very much go there set up a really low block trying trying for straight Albion and they did the job um ended nil nil and then of course they took on Brentford which was you know billed as a massive game you know Brentford obviously pushing for those automatic places as you just said and they are the team which a lot of Albion fans are looking over their shoulder at um and they went and lost there so you know it, it, it wasn't a great start um and then you know they took on Sheffield Wednesday after that and it wasn't a great half an hour until Charlie Austin finally broke the deadlock and that visibly lifted um, all of Albion's players' confidence. You could see they seemed to re-get their mojo. They found that uh, and they started scoring goals. They were really confident in that game and then of course uh, over the week, over the weekend just uh, beating Hull City 4-2, a really open game but Albion certainly got their mojo back and I think it's mainly down to, to the return of form for, for Mateus Pereira who's, who's billed by many Albion fans as probably the best player in the Championship. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a name that uh, obviously the return fixture earlier on this season was probably well first two or three games. So obviously we've not really seen um, too much of you before you came to Derby. Um, mm. And obviously Pereira, I believe, scored West Brom's goal in that game or certainly won the penalty, um, mm. if memory serves me right. So yeah, it, it's, it's something that... Um, I must admit, I've not seen a great deal of West Brom this season. I actually, the people that I work with are, are all from in and around, we're based in Worcester. So we've got mm. quite a lot of, um, we're, we're a bit of a mix across the West Midlands, to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, one, one of my bosses is a West Bromwich Albion fan. So uh, I'll make sure I get the ribs in tomorrow at work before before <laughs> uh, before Wednesday. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like you say, it's obviously we, um, we felt what a derby feels like without fans. 
uh, on mm. Saturday, and it was weird. Uh, it really was. I think obviously the start of uh, since the lockdown for ourselves, it's been a little bit more um, promising with certainly points wise, not necessarily performance wise, but certainly points wise. And then you know you you're going into that kind of a game uh, on against Forest on Saturday, and it just it lacked. It really did. It lacked drive. It lacked tempo. It lacked a bit of everything. And I, and I don't know if that's you know these games are just starting to catch up with Derby a little bit. Mm. We do seem to have a core of about fourteen players that that kind of the rotations there. Um, and after that, we're we're struggling for championship quality really. Um, so I don't. And obviously, a couple of suspensions and and you know a couple of injuries that have happened. Um, I don't know if it's just starting to to take its toll a little bit on Derby. It was mm. fast out the start blocks, which I was a bit surprised by from a Derby perspective. I expected it to be a bit of a slow burner to start, and you know possibly a couple of get two three games in you might might pick up a result but we you know we hit the ground running and it's it's just a bit of a worry now I mean we had to from our personal perspective going up obviously and trying to fight into that playoff spot we've we've got we had some pretty terrible games uh, run of games and obviously that shows no sign of stopping with yourselves on Wednesday and then we've got Brentford at home on Saturday so um, you know it's it's not going to help but one thing's for sure uh, if you know if we can if Derby can create results then Obviously, you're beating the you're beating the teams above you, mm. um, and on Wednesday night, obviously, it's it's going to be one of those interesting games for me. Um, been to the Hawthorns a few times. Uh, always a bit of a interesting place to go. Always found I think Derby obviously won there last year for one. Mm. And it was a bit of a bit of a rabbit out of the hat moment for Derby, and nobody expected that. To be perfectly honest with you. Um, and then, normally, it's a place that I know Derby have um, had a, some decent results over the years. But then again, we, you know, we've had some we've had some poor ones as well. Um, obviously, you've said there West Brom just managed to start putting the ball into the back of the net. Like you said, I think that's probably the, that has been the the difference uh, over the last two games because they, you know, they're, obviously they're a squad full of quality. Mm. Um, uh, just before, obviously, the result against Wednesday was the was it starting to play on your mind a little bit that things had started were starting to slip away? Obviously, was it about seven and a half hours of football without a goal? Yeah, because the two games ahead of lockdown as well, they went goalless as well. So I mean, you, you couldn't really take too much form into account considering the massive break between those games. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of the fan base was starting to get. You know, a little bit tetchy. They were looking over their shoulders. That gap, which was, you know, at one point, you know, it was double figures, um, was creaking ever so close. And and Brentford, they don't look like slowing down anytime soon. So I think a lot of Albion fans are really worried about them. They're they're saying, what are Brentford doing? You know, who they got next? And Brentford's running is 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 a pretty easy one, if I'm going to be honest with you. So Albion really do have to be on their toes. Um, or of course, you know, if Leeds slip up, then obviously, you know, that would help them out massively too. Um, I think the game against Derby is going to be an interesting one just because, as you said, I mean, Derby have had some really good results and Albion fans, uh, I think, are aware of that. And the, the fan base at Albion, you know, they've been through so much disappointment. Um, they're always a little bit wary, a little bit nervous uh, when it gets to this point in the season and in the position that we're in. I mean, you only need to look at last season when they seem to be doing so well under Darren Moore and then, and then they dropped on. And then, of course, in the in the playoffs, they lost to Villa over two legs and... Um, you know, it's, there's always a little bit of disappointment. So fans are always wary of that. Um, and I think with Derby, I think they're one of the teams which 
you know, despite there no, being no fans in grounds now, I think they're pretty much the neutrals' favourite for the championship. I look at, you know, you know the, the, the story of Derby and the, the start that they had, and there was obviously a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, which which didn't come across brilliantly. But then, you know, they brought in Wayne Rooney, and Wayne Rooney's, you know, he's Wayne Rooney. You know, everyone knows Wayne Rooney, and he's got young players around him who are starting to shine. And and I think just a lot of people look at the storyline for Derby, and you know, they made it all the way to the playoff final last year, and it was similar with Villa last year when. You know, they lost in the playoff final and a lot of people just seem to be naturally rooting for them. So, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a little bit of a story behind Derby. It wouldn't surprise me if you guys sneak into the playoffs and, and, and go far. Yeah, and that really surprised me. And I, and I said that in, in, in your article, Luke, um, that, we've, that we've put to you is, um, I'll touch on the Derby aspect in a minute, but you, we talked about that goal drought is that was the one weakness that I pointed out in the West Brom side that, to be honest, when the season kicked off, I expected him to get promoted. I mean, you look through the squad, Johnston's a very good goalkeeper. They've got a solid back four, back five, um, however the rotation works in there. And then obviously the midfield's very good. But the lack of a real killer central striker uh, is something that I think, if anything's going to trip Albion up, that will be. I mean, you mentioned Charlie Austin. Charlie Austin is a very good striker, but he's getting on a bit. I know he doesn't start necessarily um, mm. every week. And, and Kenneth Zahor is, doesn't really fulfill me with much – you know, he doesn't come on and I'm thinking, oh God, I'm terrified of Kenneth as a horror because we saw mm. him at Cardiff last year and he didn't necessarily pull up any trees. Um, you know, so, so is, is that, am I, am I right in assuming that that is, that is one of the shortcomings of the West Brom squad? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially when you consider, you know, last season they had a player like Dwight Gale and then they had Jay, Rodri Jay Rodriguez who were both there and they were both banging in goals for fun. I mean, Dwight Gale, if, if they had him this season and if he was fit, I know he's had his, his injury problems at Newcastle this season in the Premier League, but you, you think it'd be a very different story. Um, Charlie Austin, um, a lot of fans, they, they, they got on his back a little bit just because, you know, when he first came in, everyone was expecting him to bang in, you know, all these goals and it wasn't quite happening, but he started to find his feet. Um, but you're right in saying that, you know, he's not, he's not the youngest player in the world. He's not going to, he's not going to give you a shift in terms of, you know, getting back going forward and, and you know making and using his pace because he doesn't really have that but he is a poacher in the box so he, you do have to be careful with that but otherwise it's been how Robson Khan who has really been that main man up front who you know you guys all know very well that he doesn't you know he's not he's not exactly your biggest goal provider um the goals for Albion have really come from the players in behind the striker your Mateus Pereira's your Grady Diangana's recently Callum Robinson you know, you've got Philip Kravinovic who can chip in from midfield as well. Uh, and there are other forward-thinking players like, you know, Camille uh, Grzycki, they brought in January, got his first start the other day against his former club, Hull, and, and, got, his, and got his goal. So, you know, that, that's where the goals are coming from for Albin. But you're right, in, you're right in highlighting that central striker. If they had someone who could provide goals, a Dwight Gale or, or a Jay Rodriguez, per se, from last season, I think it'd be a very different story. Um, but yeah, you're right to highlight that. That's probably, you know, the big area, although... At the back, you know they've they've, they've had to make they're going to have to make changes for the derby game. Agman Degazi, who picked up a red card, um, won't be available for that game. They do have Shemi Ajayi who can step in alongside Carl Bartley, um, who's probably been their best defender to be honest. Shemi Ajayi, it, was, it seemed to be more squad rotation that saw him drop out um, over recent games. But um, yeah, there, there are going to be changes. But Albion will back themselves. They'll back them forward-thinking players. And Mateus Pereira, obviously coming off a hat-trick of assists against Hull City as well. So he's found some form. He's the player I think you guys are going to have to be careful of. So, you know, you say the West Brom fans get on Charlie Austin for his lack of goals. I get on him for the beach blonde hair because <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there. But that is just not, that is just not a good look. Um, talk me through um, Romain Sawyers because – 
He, in my opinion, last season was one of the best midfielders in the championship. He was very, obviously very good at Brentford. Um, four and a half million. Is, is, is he a snip at, at four and a half million? He's been an absolute bargain for West Brom. Um, it's, it's interesting because Romain, of course, started his career at Albion. He was, he was a youngster on the books at the club. Um, couldn't find you know, time on the pitch. It was a very different time for Albion then. Uh, has gone and obviously you know, crafted a, you know, a really good career. Spent some time at Walsall, went on to Brentford and that's where he really impressed, wasn't it? Um, but he's the man in the midfield who really does make Albion tick. I mean, he's, he's not a goal-getter and he, he, he doesn't rack up as many assists as people might think he should. But he's the man who... Uh, who, who lays on them hockey assists? You know, it's always the pass before the assist, and and he's a man who can cut you know cut cut teams apart with with passes from deep. He can he can play in players in behind. He he loves disguising his passes. He might not be you know he's got a very languid style in terms of you know his his work rate, but he doesn't always look like the man who's going to be driving forward, driving back box to box. But but he's a man if you give him time and space on the ball, can cause teams all sorts of problems. And alongside him. Um, you know, you've got Jake Livermore, Raheem Harper, who stepped in recently. Uh, Livermore's the skipper for Albion. He's the man. He's really the engine room uh, in that midfield. And, it, and if they stick with the 4-3-3, which I think they will, it's probably going to be Filip Kravinovic alongside him, who is that player who can you know, get up and down and, and just cause problems for teams. He's, he can pick out a goal from distance at times as well. So Romain Sawyer you know, is a deal. He's a great bargain. I think he'll do well in the Premier League if Albion go up. Um, but just don't give him space and time on the ball. That's 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 how he can hurt teams. So, playing style wise, what's the expectation? Um, what can what can us as Derby fans when when we turn that game on? What can we expect to see from Albion? Are they dominating possession? Are they looking up uh, to soak up attacks for the counter attack? What can we expect? I think in general that the Slaven Bilic has really instilled a, a possession based game. So it's never going to be super direct from Albion. You're not going to expect you know long balls over the top to, to, to target men. It's very much going to be, you know, trying to, trying to move the ball around, get the ball to Sawyers, get the ball to Pereira, just just wear down their opponents. Uh, I'm not too sure how Derby will set up. Albion tend to prefer it when teams try and play football with them, uh, as opposed to setting up a, with, with a, you know, a, a 10 men behind the ball, something like that, because it does, you know, it has caused problems for Albion before when teams do that. Um, but yeah, very much a possession-based style of play. They look to move the ball around, uh, sometimes to their detriment because they're often, you know, um, in our podcast at the Express and Star, we've discussed it a number of times. They often try and end up walking the ball into the net, which is uh, sometimes frustrating, especially for the fans. They sometimes want to see, you know, someone just take a pot shot from range or, you know, just have a crack on goal, make a goalkeeper think about something. Um, but when it works out well, uh, some of the football has been fantastic. So, it, yeah, it's, it's more of a possession-based style. They'll look to move the ball around, stretch stretch Derby when they can, and that's when they, they'll try and hurt you. I would expect that from Derby as well, wouldn't you, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, one of the we, – we try and dictate play from midfield with Rooney being in that holding midfield role, him and Bird. I mean, they, they can, if, if given the time and space, um, they can – no doubt they can dictate. Um, a very, very similar um, possession-based, slow build-up um, – Again, like a bit like you just said there about the Albion, if teams put 10, 11 behind the ball, we, we can struggle. Mm. Um, uh, we we are another team that, for some reason, try and walk it into the net. We, we don't um, don't always... I mean, we have scored goals from pop shots. Tom Lawrence, being, being a big one of that, he, he 
giving him a bit of space outside the area, but obviously he serves uh, his third... Second. Is second. it second? I think it's... You know, because the game's come thick and fast, I'm not mm. quite sure. But yeah, yeah. so he's banned and uh, another attacking threat that would have come from Derby uh, in Martin Wagle and got sent off on Saturday. So um, you're the guy that really in our attacking sense, the young lad, Louis Sibley, who mm. has scored two or three... Well, obviously, the Attrick after the restart against Millwall, he scored previously before the lockdown on his debut against Blackburn, which was about a 25-yard strike. Um, to be honest with you, it, it, in the last couple of games, he's been a bit more quiet. Teams have obviously it, always the same when somebody out of nowhere comes into a side and, and performs for two or three games. He, he's now a watched man. Um, so I, I can understand that. But don't get me wrong, he's got the ability to create space for himself. He, he's got a bit of trickery about him playing in that number 10 role um, and given given space. Uh, I must admit, I mean, on Saturday, I don't know if you saw any of the game loop, Ben mm. Watson pretty much had him in his pocket all game. He yeah. simply just couldn't couldn't get hold of the ball for longer than a couple of seconds without somebody being on being on his feet. So, obviously, as an 18-year-old, that's that's the side of the game that obviously he's going to have to learn because if he's that type of flair player, which he is, he's going to be a modern man you know, week in, week out. I think one of the other things, certainly from the Forest game, that we've not seen too much of, and I've meant, we mentioned this in our last podcast, and I've mentioned it to Corey a few times, the amount of teams that since the turn of the year have come and have allowed Wayne Rooney the time and space to dictate the midfield is mind-blowing with mm. knowing what he can and can't do. And again, another thing on Saturday, um, Forrest just, they just man-marked him out of the game. Um, he, he found it difficult. He was dropping a lot more deeper to try and pick up the balls. Um, and then, of course, you, it, it, it can return just as fast as you get it as you get it up there. Um, obviously, with those with Lawrence and Waggle not being available for Wednesday, our, uh, we we saw it a bit more on Saturday. Not not that we play long ball; it is more of a patient build up. But we're not shy to ping a forty yard ball to to a winger. Whereas, I, certainly for the team that I would expect tomorrow on, on Wednesday night, I don't think that would necessarily play to our strengths. Um, so I think it's going to be a lot more along the floor, um, patient build-up, um, which, as you've said, there can be frustrating at times. It's, it's a very it's a four four two three one, but it, it can turn into a four three three in a, an attacking sense. And um, we'll try and dominate the ball uh, if obviously if we're given it. Um, but it's not always. It, it's a lot side to side sometimes. Um, which can be a little bit frustrating. Um, Certainly not shy of knocking the ball back 60 yards to the goalkeeper if there's not a two-yard two forward pass, which drives me insane, to be perfectly honest with you. I'd still think, you know, retaining that possession in the midfield is probably easier than knocking it back to your goalkeeper. And subsequently, a lot of the time, the goalkeeper humps the ball up front and we lose possession. So it's a bit of a bit of a wasted tactic, really. Um, I think one of the things, certainly, again, as I say, with, with two main players for Derby missing on Wednesday night. I thought Derby lacked a lot going forward on, on Saturday. And that's probably with the best best 11 that we could have put out on Saturday. So that's kind of the worry a little bit um, for, for Wednesday. There's not going to be too many changes that we can make that would, would improve us. So that's something that's got to be addressed. I think certainly Saturday, the tempo of Derby was poor. Um, they just never really got going. Uh, I mean, sounds very similar to the Albion, to be fair. If they can get going and get the ball down and, and start knocking some passes around, and if Derby are given space and time to to, to ping balls around, they, they will they will one-touch pass for 15, 20 passes. 
Um, mm. And it, it all looks good, um, but not always that killer, that killer ball. Um, and with Chris Martin up front, I think one of the big threats is, is the long, longer ball up to him, knocking it down for, for Sibley if given space. Um, you know, trying to trying to attack from from twenty yards out, basically, and, and that's that might be where Derby get a bit of bit, bit fruitful. Like like you say, obviously, Agassi's um, missing for for Wednesday night's game. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's a positive or a negative. I know he's a very good player for Albion. I don't know if that's going to disrupt their back line. Uh, obviously, speaking with a couple of people that I know from uh, who I work with, they've said that they they feel that Albion are a bit suspect at set pieces. Mm. We don't necessarily score from set pieces. Um, we can concede from them. Most most goals we concede are from set pieces, which is never great. Um, we, I wouldn't say necessarily get. Con- we don't concede on the counter attack. We'll certainly get hit on the counter attack. There's no doubt about that because our, our fullbacks do try and play as, as far forward as we possibly can get them, uh, and that's a little bit of a worry again with Lawrence. No Lawrence, no Wagon for Derby. The fullbacks are the attacking threat. So obviously, when they when they're expected to be up on you know their eighteen yard box, the balls over the top, and obviously with the, with the quality of Pereira and things like that, you know you're going to. I think you're getting them in behind, certainly in behind Derby. Um, I think certainly since the restart, I don't know if you'd agree again on Saturday, Corey Matt Clark at the back was just an absolute colossus. He he got grabbing in his back pocket. He, he didn't he didn't give him an inch. He won every he won every header against him. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate Grabbin's not the well known for being that good in the air, but obviously with a with a quality striker like Graben, I, mean, I don't think I don't think Clark gave him an inch. To be perfectly honest with you, yeah, it was it was one of Matt Clark's best performances of the season. Um, and and Luke, you know, we we've talked a little bit about um, Darby struggling for bodies. Obviously, two of our top goal scorers and main goal threats are suspended through the red cards because um, I don't know they just they just feel like this is the best part of time of the season to get sent off, right? I mean, it's not like we've got important games. Um, and to be fair, both of them, both of them were red cards. There's, there's no real arguments there. Um, obviously we've got Andre wisdom out he's recovering from his, from his, um, his stabbing wounds. So we've had to play. Um, and obviously we got rid of Richard Keogh earlier in the season because of the, mm. the, the incident that happened in October. So basically we're down to Matt Clark on loan from Brighton as a center half. Um, and now we're playing George Evans, who's a holding midfielder at center half to be fair. He doesn't look. He doesn't look too out of place. Uh, the last couple of games that he's been there, he, he sometimes has looked a bit suspect there as well. And then we have Big Kurt Davis to come on at the end as as kind of this uh, this closer role for the last fifteen minutes to just kind of break up play. Um, but yeah, Clark Jason, like you said, he was immense on, on immense on Saturday. I actually saw him sprint at full speed, and it was amazing. It looked like he was running in quicksand or concrete, but yeah. it was like, look at this guy. He's just he's yeah. just giving it a right good go. Um, and Jason, yeah, just no you, I want to see a foot race between Chris Martin and Matt Clark before the end of the year. That's, yeah, that's, that's my yeah. entire goal. Um, yeah, no, players. yeah, Luke, um, I think if you're looking at a player for Darby, that could, that could, that could hurt Albion. Um, Chris Martin's one of them. I put that in the article. What I didn't mm. put in the article was, um, I was watching the game with my, my parents this weekend and my dad who, has spent a long time, large part of his life playing and coaching professionally. Um, he refers to Chris Martin as a championship level Giroux. And now that he says <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's basically Olivier Giroux, just in a larger body, doing the exact same stuff. He wins free kicks, he had nerves. He's going to occupy an entire center half, whether that's Bartley or that's Ajay. 
it's going to be one of those two that he's going to occupy, which hopefully will leave some space and some pockets for Louis Sibley to, to have a bit more time and space on the ball. Um, so switching gears a little bit, we've been very fortunate because our season's been a real roller coaster and it, it always is at Derby. It's always, a, it's not necessarily a barrel of laughs. It just makes you want to laugh and cry and crawl up in the fetal position and not come out of, of anywhere, you know? Um, and that's what Derby County do to you. But, you know, we're in this position with a few games to go uh, where we can still obtain the playoffs, which to be honest, I think Jason and myself would both agree. It's a remarkable achievement that we're even talking about the P word right now. Um, is it obviously, would, would, would getting into the playoffs as opposed to automatic promotion, would that be seen as a disappointment for the Albion fan base? Uh, certainly it would now. I think Albion, you know, they had such a strong start. It was almost uh, the exact opposite to Derby in, in considering the start that Albion had. They went unbeaten for so long. I mean, their first defeat came at Elland Road, a game which they probably shouldn't have really lost. They were, they were well worth a draw. Um, there and and I think that kind of raised expectations among the fan base. The fans saw you know Billich ball in full effect. They saw Mateus Pereira scoring all sorts of goals. They saw you know some performances which um, aren't too often seen at the Hawthorns if, uh, over recent years. To be honest with you, um, and it raised expectations. Fans saw them. You know they saw them and Leeds quickly opening up a gap between the, the top two and, a, and the chasing pack. And they thought that's it. You know we'll be done and dusted. You know, come April, um, we can celebrate. We can have some, basically, some testimonial games for the likes of Chris Brunn, who's on his way out of the club at the end of the season, and and it's all going to be, you know, all fun and games. But the way things worked out, obviously, they had a little bit of a blip over Christmas. Um, teams have slowly started chipping away at that lead. Them and Leeds, there was a point in the season where it didn't look like either of them really wanted to get promoted by the automatic promotion spots. Um, they were just constantly, you know, dropping points left, right, and centre. And now all of a sudden, you've got Brentford and Fulham chasing their tails, and you got teams like Derby forcing their way into into the playoff picture. And um, a lot of fans now would see the playoffs as, you know, if they were to drop into them, I don't think they'd back themselves. I don't think they'd back Albion in the playoffs just because that, you know, the the big hit to your motivation and your confidence that it would take from being in that top two for so long this season, dropping into the playoffs, having to deal with a team over two legs. Um, and obviously, you know, the nightmares of last season potentially re-emerging, losing in a penalty shootout. Uh, they wouldn't want to see that again. Um, so, yeah, it'd be disappointing. It's always been a two-year plan uh, for Slavin Bilic with the way Albion is set up. They, you know, they've still got the parachute payments from the Premier League. They've got, you know, a lot of quality. We've kind of touched on the forward-thinking players. They've got a lot more quality on their bench and the, the five-sub rule really does work in Albion's favour. Um, but I think there's a quiet confidence amongst the fans, the players, and particularly those higher up at Albion, that they should be able to get the job done. It's kind of like that Olympic, um, when you look at the Olympic medals, that mentality of if you get silver, you're like, oh man, I missed out on gold. But if you get bronze, you're just happy to, 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 to get a medal um, mm. kind of thing. And so um, we've talked about a couple danger men. Who is, who is the key for Albion if they're on tomorrow? Or they're on on uh, they're on during the game on Wednesday. Um, who's the key man that's going to they, that's going to turn the game? Is it is it Mateus Pereira? Yeah, Mateus Pereira has been the highlight of Albion's season really on the pitch so far. They've had a lot of good players. Grady Dean Garner's you know shown his ability, but he's been in and out with injury, and you know he he's a player who can turn a game. And you know Jake Livermore's been fantastic in in that midfield. But it is Mateus Pereira. If Mateus Pereira is on form. 
Um, it, and it doesn't take long for him to get onto form. He's, he's, he's a little bit of a microwave player. Like he can be cold one minute and then all of a sudden he's, he's just, he, 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 he heats up and suddenly he's laid on two assists and, you know, the start of the game against Hull, um, it was it was a joy to watch him just because the, every every ball into the box was pinpoint. They were they were causing all sorts of problems down the right hand side. They were playing in a four three three where Pereira starts on the right and cuts in onto his left foot, um, his favoured left foot, and he can do all sorts with that. He's a real one, so you've got to be careful with him. Um, but he's not he's not your biggest goal scorer in the world. He's certainly a danger from set pieces. I know uh, you guys would have seen Wayne Rooney's you know fantastic free kick the other day. Uh, Pereira scored, you know, a peach um, previously earlier this season. He's certainly capable, um, you know, fr- from a dead ball. But he, he's not man to normally score from open play, but he can certainly do it. It's more his creative abilities, which you know tends to put goals on plates for other players. If what is what is what is Pereira's one weakness then? If 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 you were if you were in the derby dressing room, you're addressing the players. What's the one way that you can stop him if if he is on? I think you know getting men around him. Um, he is he's he is obviously a focal point, but you know if you if you double up on him, he does get a little bit frustrated at times. He's 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 known as having you know a little bit of a mean streak about him. He's he's he can react to players if he gets wound up. Uh, not too dissimilar to someone like Wayne Rooney, actually. Um, you, you know if you if you do you know frustrate him, just work at him. He's one of them players who um, you know if you chip away at him, just little kicks here and there. I'm not saying you know go out and try and get him injured, but if you you know, if you utilise the dark arts, so to speak, of football and, and just nip at his heels and, you know, just starve him of the football, that's when he can get a little bit frustrated, maybe, you know, come off the boil. Um, I think that's what Derby's players should probably look to do. I think it's, you know, you pointed out that, you know, um, Wayne Rooney, if you man-mark him, he got frustrated against Forrest. I think that's probably what Albion will try to do. They'll try and utilise their midfield to try and, you know, stop Wayne Rooney having such an influence on the game because Albion are fully aware of, the quality that he brings, you know, he's, he's England's leading goal scorer. He's Manchester United's uh, record goal scorer, of course. You know, they, they're fully aware of, you know, the dangers of Wayne Rooney. And I think making sure that he doesn't have a good game is probably what Albion will try and focus on and hope that, you know, the players around him can't, can't carry the slack. I was a bit surprised to read in the papers um, over the last couple of days, um, Joe Hart's rumoured to be um, headed to the Hawthorns. But Sam Johnston's such a, a quality goalkeeper, in my in my estimation. I know he'd certainly improve our goalkeeping situation, wouldn't he, Jason? So, yeah, absolutely. So is, has Johnston gone off the boil, or are they just looking for heart for cover, or is that just paper talk? At the moment, I mean, we, we, we've not heard any you know, rock-solid um, links our end regarding Joe Hart. I think it's very much you know one of those where Joe Hart's being linked with a team who looks like they're going to be playing in the Premier League next season. I'm pretty sure Albion won't want to be doing any any deals right now or, or even, you know, maybe catering for a deal where they don't know what league they're going to be in next season. They can't be sure whether they're in the Premier League or in the Championship. They certainly wouldn't be able to afford Joe Hart's wages, uh, I'd imagine, if they were in the Championship next season, despite having parachute payments, you know, still. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Sam Johnson, as you said, you know, he's highlighted as, you know, a really good goalkeeper in the Championship. I've always supported Sam Johnson and you know I feel like his quality is is there for plenty to see but for Albion fans you know he has become a little bit of a maybe a lightning rod for for a little bit of criticism you know because Albion have been so good you know if you make a mistake in between the sticks it often leads to a goal and you know Johnson is a brilliant shot stopper that's the one thing that you know I think a lot of people will see from Sam Johnson is you know he's fantastic at pulling off you know 
great double saves at times. He, he's very good, you know, just doing the, the basics of goalkeeping, just stopping the ball going in the net. Um, it's more, you know, one of the goals against Hull, you know, there's a ball into the box. Albion didn't defend set pieces well that day. Uh, but Sam Johnson was maybe at fault. He, he, he kind of flapped at a ball into the box. And that's what uh, some fans see, you know, as a little bit frustrating. But I'm surprised that, you know, Joe Hart's been linked with him. I think if, if I was Slavin Bilic, if I was the Albion hierarchy, I'd be quite happy with Sam Johnston in between the sticks should they get promoted. I'd, I'd like to give him a chance in the Premier League because, you know, he's shown plenty of quality. He's still very young for a goalkeeper. He's nowhere near his 30s yet. Um, but yeah, it's surprising. But, it's, you know, it's one of them where it's a big name player. He, he's, he's, he's not done well at Burnley by, by all respects, to be honest to him. He's been riding the bench a fair bit. Obviously, you know, was England's number one and was Man City's number one and has just kind of fallen down that pecking order. I think it's just a lot of reports maybe putting two and two together and getting five at the moment. But you never know if Albion go up and he, he may well he may well be of interest to them because they, they might want, you know, someone with a bit, bit of experience to provide some competition for, for Johnston. See, on the flip side of that, Jason, our goalkeeping situation is, is, not, is not as solid as what it is at Albion, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, I think you're right, Luke. I think, to be honest with you, I think Joe Hart will will get linked with every championship team that gets promoted this season, and there'll be no doubt about that. Um, I've always rated Johnson. I, I must admit, um, like you say, Corey, he'd certainly uh, he'd certainly make Derby's um, Derby's goalkeeping uh, problems a lot easier, uh, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I think it's the it's the age old. There are going to be as we've discussed before, Corey and Luca, you may well agree. Obviously, the transfer window that's going to be coming up at the end of this season is an absolute minefield. It's going to be a complete unknown. There are going to be a lot of ex-Premier League players who've still got a few years, you know, a few years ahead of them that are going to find themselves without a club. Um, and I think it would be very easy for for a team to go up and then buy in that Premier League, previous Premier League experience. Uh, if that's the right way to go about it, uh, I don't know. You know, you, you look at somebody like, I say, Sheffield United this season, you know, I don't think they've particularly brought in anybody uh, with masses of experience in the Premier League. It's not riddled throughout the squad and, you know, they're having, they're having a pretty decent, uh, they're having a pretty decent year. Um, out of it, and then obviously you look at the Villa, who've spent 130 odd million, and you know they're, they're languishing, they're languishing down at the bottom. So it's, I think it's always difficult. Derby have obviously seen it in the past where we haven't spent that much when we've gone up, and it came back to bite us on the backside. Um, and then subsequently we've tried to throw money at it in the Championship, and it's it's not obviously to this date. Um, obviously we we were pretty close last year but again it's it's not really um it's not really done it so we it was a something i saw on twitter uh, earlier in fact just the, for the teams who are going up um and i think obviously at this moment in time west brom are in a driving seat to do that so you know when when you go up uh, if you go up you know how how do you how do you manoeuvre the next transfer window and again obviously same as if, if you was to stay in the championship which Obviously, I'm hoping Derby can get in the playoffs and go through them. But realistically, I, th I think we're set for another another season of, of rebuilding the championship. Um, and then, obviously, as I say, a, a plethora of players can potentially become available to you. Um, and I think, obviously, we've spoken about this before, Corey. Money's going to have to change in football for the foreseeable future. 
you could find yourselves, as I say, with a lot of Premier League experience, quality, finding themselves in the Championship, probably not on the, the forty fifty thousand pounds a week that they, they might expect. Um, you, they could well dip after dip below that if they want to play in this country. Of course, they you know they're free to they're free to go wherever they wish. Um, just being devil's advocate, West Brom do go up, Luke. What what do you think to the transfer? Yeah, I think you're right in highlighting you know the transfer window and you know the way that money is involved, especially over this, you know, where we've seen a lot of clubs struggling. I mean, you only need to look in the championship and, and see the, the, the plight of Wigan now. Um, and I think there's going to be a fair few other clubs, by the way, that will probably ex- express some financial, you know, issues over the next year or so. And you're right. I think you're right in pinpointing that money does have to change in football. There are more and more clubs. And I, I know you highlighted Sheffield United as, you know, um, you know, a team who went up and they didn't spend bucket loads on 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 you know Premier League experiences. They call they brought in a couple of players, you know, your lease Moosets and, and Phil Jagielkas. But I mean in general they spent a lot of their money, you know, uh, a lot wi- uh, very wisely. Villa, of course, you know, you highlighted them and they, they had to spend what the 140 million that they did because they had so many players leaving the club. Um and there was a lot of comparisons with Fulham, which which I've written about previously. Um but yeah you're right, they've spent a lot of money. And it hasn't always worked out. You know, I think a lot more championship teams now, especially those, you know, looking to get promoted, will will look at the blueprint set by teams like Wolves, where they did a lot of loans with views um, from abroad. And I know they've got George Mendes, who kind of runs their their transfer business um, alongside their ownership. But, you know, I think more and more teams will be looking to do that kind of thing. And and in a championship, it's so vital for for loanies to come in. And, and I think that's the important thing for a lot of clubs now. Whereas Albion, you know, if they've, they've already kind of said that they've kind of got one or two plans in place, you know, one plan if they go up, one plan if they don't. And, and, and that's what clubs have to do now. I think they have to kind of have that due diligence. Um, they're not going to spend, you know, fortunes and fortunes. Don't expect to see another Aston Villa, you know, kind of level of splurge from West Brom. I don't think many clubs will be doing that kind of thing um, this summer in particular, the way things are going. Um, you know, there's talk of transfer fees, which have been so inflated over recent years, um, you know, deflating and, you know, you're not going to be seeing hundreds of millions spent by clubs anymore. Um, but Albion certainly won't be doing that. They're a very well-run club financially. Um, they, they, they like to work within their means. They'll highlight players that they like. I think they're probably going to be one of them, champ- one of those teams, if they do go up, that kind of picks away at the championships, you know, top performance, you know, Players like Ollie Watkins, for example, at Brentford. Like, if Brentford don't go up, I imagine Albion would probably look at a player like him and see more value in that than, say, spending you know, 25, 30 million on a player with Premier League experience who you know, might be coming from a bigger pond uh, and doesn't see themselves as, as really wanting to play for Albion. I think Albion will look at it. Let's find a team you know, in the Championship where someone can probably make a step up, you know, someone who potentially got real good resale value as well. Um, that's the kind of model that Albion will take. But I think you're right. Uh, the, the money in football has to change uh, in regards to, to uh, transfer spending because it, it can't keep going on and on, especially the way things are with coronavirus and that sort of thing. We're seeing too many clubs struggle now um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see it change. So we'll see less players like Sandro in a West Brom shirt then? <laughs> I imagine so, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think your point's right. I mean, go back five, ten years maybe. 
I think every team had a had a loanee from abroad, 18, 19 year old from the likes of Benfica or Barcelona B or you know wherever. And like you say, I think the Wolves. I mean, how they pulled off some of their transfers is is incredible in some respects. But you know, they mm. they did what they did, and that's fine. I think obviously it's something that I know me and Corey have spoken about in, in terms of Derby. We, we scream out for a bit of foreign flair at times, in my opinion. But of course, like you say, it's getting them in on a three-year on a three-year deal, and within nine months, you realise that they're just not cut out for the champ for the cut and thrust of the championship. You know, from my perspective, I, I, I would still say that the championship at Premier League, of course, but the championship is still pretty much a, a somewhere that you know the likes of players abroad want to come to. They want to prove themselves at, at this level. So I think I think you're right. I think if anybody can, you know, if you can work in in some kind of loan deals, loan to permanent deals, and like you say with Wolves, look what happened. It, it, they they made seven or eight. They all worked. They signed the lot, and now, now they're you know they're on the verge of Europe, you know, European football. Well, I appreciate they they did get it this year, but mm. you know it, it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting model. Um, I think Forest did something similar did the Corey, where they they robbed the back catalogue of Portuguese. Portuguese players, did. but unfortunately, with Silva and Carvalho. Yeah, didn't, but they didn't, didn't turn really out to be Ruben well. Neves. So no, no, it didn't quite work out as well. Um, but it, it shows that you know there are two or three different models that can keep a team in in the Premier League, um, and it's not always the team like you mentioned there. Like Fulham, Fulham did it a couple of years ago. They spent over a hundred million. It didn't help them, um, mm. and subsequently, obviously, they they've languished in the Championship for for two seasons now and. Okay, I appreciate they're in they're in the playoffs. I don't think they're as much of a challenge to to the top two as Brentford, um, and other than Mitrovic, again another team really that other than Mitrovic and Kearney in the midfield, I've, I've never seen a great deal of quality. Although obviously they did sign um, oh, what's his name on the wing from Wolves. We were Cavallero, yeah. yeah, Cavallero. I mean, they, they got a they got a frightening front three um, when, when it's on fire, but I don't think they've seen it enough, and they've been a, a little bit suspect at the back, and certainly uh, certainly the goalkeeper I know has come under come under a little bit of stick once or twice at Fulham. So, you know, it's things like that, and I mean, just again playing devil's advocate, it, it, uh, somebody like Derby was to get promoted this season, they they would need to replace ninety percent of the squad. Um, unfortunately, which obviously doesn't doesn't bode too well. Um, but we know one thing that our, our chairman isn't scared of throwing money at it if he's got it in his pocket. Um, which obviously with a with a promotion he, he would have. So it would be interesting to see which way Derby uh, went round it. To be perfectly honest with you, but we'll we'll, we'll save that to just in case it doesn't happen. So I'm not I'm not so confident. But um, so Luke, how many? Uh, how how Premier League ready is the West Brom squad? And, and if they were to go up, you know, we just talked about the change in transfer market. How many players would they would they theoretically need to bring in um, to to be competitive in the Premier League? Um, the caveat to that is I've watched a lot of Premier League games recently, as I always do, but a lot since the lockdown um, and and Project Restart. Some of the some of the teams in the Premier League are pretty pretty turgid uh, mm. watching them. But again, that step up is still significantly better, you know, even technically as the players. So how many players would Albion need to, to be in and how Premier League ready is the squad? Uh, there's a fair few who I, I imagine would be willing to make that step up and be able to. I, I've already touched on Sam Johnson. I think he is, you know, of, of enough quality. I think if you back him, you, you know, and give him, you give him your full back in as your number one, then I, th- I certainly think he could do the job in the Premier League. Shemi Ajayi, I think, is the main central defender who's ready. 
Agassi's played there before, but Agassi's not been great this season. He's been a bit hit and miss. Uh, they'd certainly need uh, to bolster there. Kieran Gibbs is, is, for me, one of the best left-backs in the Championship and could certainly do the job in the Premier League. The only issue surrounding him, of course, is, is fitness. He, he's, he won't be available um, for the game with you guys in midweek. He, he tweaked his hamstring. It's not as bad as first feared, but he won't be available for that. Uh, at right back, Albion have been using Dyer O'Shea, who's, who's basically a centre-back being played at right back um, after the Nathan Ferguson debacle. I don't know if you heard about him, but he was a youngster who was brought through. Um, Albion really did impress and then you know, was literally on the verge of a move to Crystal Palace. A knee injury uh, was highlighted in the, in the medical and he's now left the club anyway because his contract was due and yeah, they couldn't re-sign him. Uh, Sawyers and Livermore certainly Premier League capable. Uh, Kravinovic, who's on loan without a view to permanent, they would probably have to do a deal to try and bring him in. Um, and then, you know, Matez Pereira for sure is Premier League quality player. It's up front, as, as we highlighted before, where they don't really have that striker who can bang in goals. Uh, Charlie Austin's getting no younger. Um, Harold Robson Carnu, for me, has been very good in the Championship, but isn't Premier League, you know, quality. Um, and then you've got Kenneth Zahor, who I think has. It's cost a lot of money and not really provided that the 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 goals the goals that the club would really want. Uh, the, on the wing, Grady Dingan is on loan. It's very unlikely they'll be able to do a permanent deal for him, uh, particularly if West Ham West Ham end up dropping because he's a player who West Ham would probably see as a player in the Championship who would probably be one of their leading lights. Um, if they stay up, the potential for another loan deal, but it'd be very hard to get him tied down. Uh, Callum Robinson's on loan from Sheffield United, but. There's no view to a permanent there, so they have to do a deal there. So they probably need, you know, five, maybe six players. They would, they would certainly need to bring in bodies because, you know, the likes of, you know, Dara O'Shea on right back is okay. Uh, Matt Phillips has been, has been blown hot and cold on the right wing. The midfield, is there any cover there? Raheem Harper, is he ready? Probably not. Um, the likes of Carl Edwards, who's another youngster, you'd probably be looking to loan him out to get in time on the pitch. Um, they would certainly need to bolster and provide some strength and depth, but you're right in highlighting, you know, the quality in the Premier League, barring that top six, seven, maybe eight clubs, isn't brilliant. Uh, I don't think it's the biggest step up in the world. I think the, the step up from League One to the Championship is right now is probably a bigger step uh, in terms of quality from the Championship higher up, like higher end Championship to, to lower end Premier League. So yeah, as long as you, you know, recruit well and, and you know, try and, mixing uh, Premier League experience with, with quality from Broadford for cheaper deals. Uh, I think Albion could certainly, you know, manage that. Um, but of course, you know, as with recruitment, as we've highlighted and, you know, as we've, we've touched on with many other clubs and you've seen with many other clubs, it's a little bit of a lottery at times. You know, you can sign someone, you look at, you look at a team like Villa, for example, they signed a little bit of Premier League experience in Tom Heaton, who did so well for them between the sticks, got injured. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're chopping and changing goalkeepers for the rest of the season. So, you know, obviously there's a lottery to it. There's a little bit of luck, but uh, Albion seem to have recruited really, really well uh, over January and over the summer. So if they did that again, um, it would certainly, it certainly bode well for them, I think. I think you're right. I mean, like you said, just going to that point there, that, that seven or eight team lower end Premier League. I, th I think, like you say, what I mean, you look at Norwich, champions obviously last year. Uh, I've said to Corey, I, I didn't think there were any great shakes, to be perfectly honest with you. They had, mm. as it tends to be in the championship, if you've got an off steady defence and somebody who can put 25 in the net every season, you know, you stand a good chance of getting out of the championship. I think that's what Norwich had. Um, and again, not, not full of quality. Villa probably being the exception, they, they did throw some money at it, but again, possibly not with hugely proven uh, Premier League players. I think that, like you, you could you can name those, Sheffield United, obviously Crystal Palace. You know, they, like you said, the Albion would 
possibly do look at like an Ollie Watkins or something like that. That most of those teams in that bottom half of the Premier League have taken the starlets of the Championship for one season. Uh, obviously, McBurney at Sheffield United comes mm. springs to mind. And just because they're playing for a Premier League team doesn't make them Premier League quality. Mm. Um, so you know, it, it, and I think that's probably why you see it now. Um, that there is there is a bit more of a gap now. Obviously, Wolves managed to bring in that extra bit of quality, and and that did that did propel them ever so slightly. But I think that seven to eight bottom teams, I, th- I think it is filled a lot of the a lot of the teams are filled with decent Championship players. That you know, Dwight Gale probably one of the one of the best um, of, of recent years um, as an example. They're absolutely fantastic in the championship, mm. not the greatest in the Premier League in some respects. That's no disrespect to him because obviously his quality is there, but he hasn't proved it season in season out. But any time he's ever dropped back down into the championship, he's always you know he's always gone on to to be one of the best players in the championship for that season. So. Mm. I think you're right. I think you know. I think West Brom certainly, it's obviously, as a, as a team that haven't long been back down, I think they're more capable of uh, than Derby of going and, and staying in there. I think Derby would be a would be a massive rebuild job. Um, as we say, we've got five, possibly six academy players starting in the starting eleven. We might even see one or two more potentially on Wednesday because of squad rotation and things like that. So you know, when you've got eight players under the age of 21 coming out of your academy. That's it's great for two two years time maybe with a bit more championship experience but yeah I think Derby'd have to absolutely overall the overall the squad um, which would obviously cost probably quite a bit but mm. who knows we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see we'll wait and see on that um, obviously focusing mainly then on the game a uh, couple more things from me Luke. Um, before we we always do a score prediction. So before we do before we do the score prediction, I think that what I'm about to ask is a bit of a silly question. Um, but how key critical is it that West Brom win this game? Uh, yeah, it's, it's vital for them because you know Brentford do not look like slowing down one bit, and they've as I said previously, they've got they've got a very good run in as well. Um, and at the moment, in terms of form, teams Brentford are right up there uh, alongside yourselves, actually. Um, in that respect, but for Albion, it's vital that they keep you know a, a gap between them, which isn't touching distance. Because if Brentford, I mean, they've already had a little bit of a sniff in terms of beating Albion at their place. If they get a, if they get a sniff of, their, of them automatic promotion places, I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. So it is important um, for West Brom to, to to make sure they get a result because if they lose a couple or if they draw a couple and Brentford go on and win. Um, all of a sudden, Albion could be could be staring at, at that third place, and 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 that's not what not what Southern Billich or the players or the fans will want. No, I, I obviously we we'll, we'll get a taste of Brentford ourselves on Saturday, and uh, we'll we'll see what they're about. I must admit, I mean, we've got yourselves on Wednesday. We've still got to play Brentford. We've still got to play Cardiff. We've still got to play Leeds. So you know, even if we're not involved in that top six ourselves, we're still going to have a, a big shout in, in, into what happened. And I must admit. Uh, no disrespect to any of the others, but Brentford, I think, are the team that are, me personally, I'm a bit more worried about playing than anybody else because mm. they do, they just do, do seem like a bit of a, tra- a freight train at the moment that, that don't show no signs of stopping. Um, but final question before we go for the match prediction Do you think the tie? Obviously, I appreciate the, the points gap isn't massive. Can, can West Brom win it? 
I mean, they could do. There's certainly nothing stopping them, um, you know, claiming the title. But uh, very much among, amongst the fan base now, I don't think there's a there's a real desire uh, to to get that nailed down. If you offered them second place, they'd, they'd snatch your hand off because it's not. You know, you can you can win the championship, you know, title, and you know, it's all well and good. You know, you're lifting a trophy, but I mean, is it a trophy that you know is going to be going down in club history? Is it is it a European Cup? Is it an FA Cup? Is it even a League Cup or a Premier League trophy? It's nowhere near to the caliber of that. Um, obviously, it's something to celebrate, but. It's, it's, it's promotion, really, which is which is the big one. That's what fans want. That's what players want. It's what the coaches want. Who finishes first? Who finishes second? On, on in the whole of it, it doesn't matter a whole lot. I mean, look as you said, you know, Norwich went up as as title winners last season. Look where they are now. They're, you know, they're, they're basically a place ahead of where they were and headed straight back down. So you know, it's important. It's just important to get promoted. That's a, that's the main thing. They could go and do it. Leeds are well known for bottling it. Um, you know, we've seen previous years where. They've, they've, you know, I mean, even coming up against against you guys, and obviously, you know, just seeing things fall apart. Um, they're well known for that, so it could well happen. You know, it could transpire that Leeds do that again, and I don't think that this uh, this hectic schedule really benefits Leeds because of the style of football they play. You know, it's so forward thinking, so much, so much pressing. It does tend to burn players out. I think the three month break may have helped them, but this last dash to the to the finish line might hurt them a little bit. Uh, so it could well happen that you know Leeds end up dropping a couple of points here and there, and Albion do catch them up. But on the whole of it, I don't think fans care a whole lot because a they're you know you still get promoted, and b they're not actually in the grounds to witness it. You know you don't get that that you know that, that trophy that lifting the trophy, and you know the Hawthorns would be rocking if that was happening, and you know you don't get that big parade. I mean, obviously, I, I figure that teams will will organise something to them, you know, if, if, if they do finish and win the title, they'll probably rearrange something like that. But it's not going to be the same, is it? Um, you know, fans fans don't care about that. They care about promotion. They care about the Premier League uh, and then staying up there. So they could well do it. But it would, on the whole of it, I don't think it, it bothers too many people. No, I, fair point. I, I, I can't argue with your, with your thought process there. I think when, you, when you're a team that I suppose at the start of the season are expected to be up there, like you said, getting up there any way, any way possible, however you get there, is, is is the most important. So then we'll move on to a match prediction for to, for Wednesday night. Luke, what, what which way are you going with it? Uh, it's it's going to be a really tight one. Um, there's a couple. I mean, there's a couple of results we could see happening. Um, for me, I think Albion might just have enough to squeak by you, maybe two one. Um, but I tell you what, it could, it could quite easily be a draw. It could quite easily be, you know, a victory for your lot as well. But for me, uh, the former Tez Pereira and the former Albion have, have, have found themselves in. Uh, Shemi Ajay stepping back into the side who has been the best defender this season. If they manage to stop Wayne Rooney, I imagine uh, Albion will, will, will probably be leaving the happier on the day. But of course, that's uh, easier said than done. Yeah, I, I, one of the pieces that I put in, in for your article, I, I did say, you know, Based on take the Forest game out of it, I think Derby were we're in with a real chance. If the same team or the same ethic, I think is probably the better mentioned because it's the same bunch of players, but it's just the work work ethic and the tempo. If if, if Derby can come to the Hawthorns with a bit of a tempo, I think both kind of play the same style. So it could be uh, it could be a very high scoring game. Um, I, I I would like to think that Derby can get something out of the game. I think I, I did say in your article, you know, a two two. Would, but again, two-one either way. A bit similar to yourself, I could see it going. 
I could see it mm. going either way, really. It's, it's probably the hardest one I've had to uh, I've had to predict at the moment, to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, I think I'd be happy. I'd be happy with a two-two draw, to be fair. Corey. Yeah. So um, again, I could see a draw, um, but I'm going to go with a two-one Derby victory. I think the way that Derby performed for the last 45 minutes against Preston and for the, for the full, basically for, for 90, 97 minutes against Nottingham Forest, it was a turgid display. It was slow. It had, well, I was going to say lack of pace, but that is slow. Um, so yeah, it was slow. Uh, there was no cutting edge. Um, I don't think that Kaku or Wayne Rooney is going to allow that to happen again. I could see it at the end that Rooney was a bit frustrated with what was going on when he was, when he was trying to orchestrate um, some of the troops. Um, and I just think that that, that, I just think a different version of Derby is going to come out. I don't think that they're going to continually play this, this, this turgid football because we've seen them play really good football. Um, Albion do scare me. They're a big team, a lot of premier, a lot of quality in the side, but with a lack of a, with a lack of a real top class center forward, um, then, you know, one goal probably from them, probably Pereira, but I could definitely see a two, one Derby win. Although I have changed my mind and I don't think if we did get a draw, it would take us out the playoff picture because of who we're playing and the form that everybody else is in. But Make a long story short, 2-1 to the Rams. Sorry, Luke. Well, that's all right. <laughs> that's what we think. Well, obviously, you know, yeah, I, I was leaning on the air side of uh, air of caution, really, with, with that result. Um, a bit like you said there, Corey, to be honest with you, it will completely depend. As most, most games do, it depends what kind of team turns up on the day. I just think with the players that Derby are going to be missing, unless they use utilise a couple of players who haven't really featured too much since the since the restart but again doesn't necessarily replace the quality that we're missing from with with the with the suspensions so that's why I'm 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 more hopeful I'm I'm hoping rather than uh, than wanting to be perfectly honest with you that one but anyway I think that's about it for us thanks Luke it's been it's been a cracking chat um a nice insight all the best uh, for the rest of the season, and obviously, just not on Wednesday. Room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not for for a derby's sake. And even even if we do sneak a result against you on Wednesday, we'll try our best to uh, to stump Brentford on uh, on Saturday as well. Yeah, I think that's all Albion fans will want. All, all the best for you guys too for the season. I, I truly hope to see you uh, battling in the playoffs and, and hopefully fame the Premier League next season. We'll be having this chat in the Premier League next year, Luke. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Luke. No worries. Cheers. Our thanks quite to Luke. Uh, as always, cracking chat. Uh, as always, with these opposition fans, um, all the best to West Brom, obviously, for the rest of the season, but hopefully not uh, too much for Wednesday night. So, shifting gears a little bit, anybody that follows us on uh, social media will realise that last week we had our American Rams week in terms of the... Um, to run alongside the 4th of July American celebrations. Um, and basically what we did, if anybody didn't see, was uh, every day we put out a different American Derby County player from past and present. Um, it's quite Sorry, surprising. Jason, it's American legend. American legends. There we go, American <laughs> legends. Um, and when we ro roll through these, uh, these names, you will certainly remember some of these legends. Um, there's no doubt about that. So... We thought we'd, we, we thought we'd just cover that um, in terms of if anybody missed it on social media. So, Corey, who was, who's the first up? First up is Connor Doyle. Connor Doyle, the 18-year-old who came over um, from some unknown university. Creighton University time. in Texas. Yeah, came, came with quite a pedigree. Um, 
half Irish, I believe, or it was certainly got Irish Irish heritage. Um, I, I I was a season ticket holder when he came over. Um, striker tried, failed, disappeared off the face of the earth. I think that's pretty much about as much as as much as I know about him. Yeah, he did the reverse Wayne Rooney. So he signed from Creighton, played for Derby. He made uh, 22 appearances in three years. Oddly enough, he was here for three years. Never scored a goal. Um, And then he ended up going to DC United afterward. So he did the bit of the reverse of the Wayne Rooney. And I remember when he came over here, people were like, oh man, it's Connor Doyle. He's so good. He's played for Derby. And then I was like, wait, (laughs) uh, hold your horses. Um, uh, You might want to readjust your optics here and figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, and he's currently at the Chattanooga Red Wolves in the USL. Really? So, still playing, still around. Um, and interesting fact, you're right, Jason, dual nationality. So, he's both he's represented both the United States men's national team and the Republic of Ireland at youth levels. I think it was yeah. U- U20, but he never made a senior appearance. So, um, I think he's about uh, 27, 28 now, maybe a bit older. So, yeah. Chattanooga Red Wolves is probably it was just a strange signing to be honest you know um one of these like he had a trial and impressed clough and obviously when we look back at that era we've talked about it um bit of a cost-cutting measure but still it's still a bizarre signing because he didn't really have much of an impact i don't remember him starting too many games and i think really no, like, the first three appearances people kind of realized that he was not at the level he needed to be at but he still has stuck around for three years yeah but i hope well moving on from one failed um, representative to to another, I think. Unfortunately, there's quite a few in this list. Um, up next, Corey. Up next, Zach Whitbread. Zach Whitbread. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he came with a bit of pedigree. Obviously, he'd been in and around, you know, the, the English game um, for a while. Um, I thought when he came in, he he didn't play again. He didn't play too many games. You'll be able to give us the stats in a second. I do remember him playing for Derby and not being all that bad. But again, it was a, it was a, I believe, a loan signing for a makeshift makeshift cover for for an injury. If memory serves me right, he did. He came in on loan from from Leicester City, um, and then obviously Derby signed him um, on a on a transfer after that. I think it might have been a free transfer. I don't think he cost yeah. anything. Um, he played for from 2013 to 2015. So. He made four appearances on loan and 13 appearances overall and did score one goal. And the one thing I can remember at Zach Whitbread is that he was very highly rated in FIFA. So, like, if you look at FIFA stats for Derby players, like the highest players, like a 72, 73 normally, Zach Whitbread was like a 74, 75. So when I picked up that copy of FIFA, I was like, yes, 100%, we've got a fantastic center half. And I think you're right. He didn't play particularly terrible in any of the appearances that he played. He just never got a consistent run. And then he eventually, eventually moved on. And I think he's now since retired and I think he's doing, he's got a small business. He's either an agent or something like that in, in some, some um, thing, but he never, he won five caps for the under 20 team for the national team in America, but never played for the senior team. Right. So, and I remember him from his Norwich, Norwich, Norwich days in the premier league. Yeah, absolutely. He he did come with a bit of certainly um, English pedigree in, in the English game. Up next has got to be one of my favourites. All right. Well, who is it? who is your favourite, Jason? Because they're all your favourites. I know that. <laughs> I was going to say, obviously, the great Benny Failheiber. I can't even say his name. Yeah, that. That Benny, 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 Benny Yeah, Benny Fellhaber. So, yeah. Benny Fellhaber um, played in America at a World Cup. Um, and actually, to be honest with you, 
He was not a bad player. Um, no. he's, he played a lot. He played a lot of, he played 44 times for the men's team. Um, he scored two goals. Like I said, he played in the world cup. He played in a couple gold cups. Um, and he was Brazilian born, oddly enough. So born in Brazil, yeah, played for America, that. um, came from Hamburg, obviously in the doomed yeah. premier league season, um, which to be honest, none of those players are even worth mentioning because that was just a terrible season. And at the time for me from afar, obviously it did seem kind of like a bit of a panic signing. Um, because we were just trying to get bodies in the door that could make us relatively competitive, not even not yeah. even trying to win a game, just trying to be competitive. I think, I think it was just fresh. I think at, the, at that point in that season, it was just a case of you know the, the players that had been out there were just getting handed it handed to them week in week out. It was just a just to try and freshen whatever they could up. And as you say, he did come with a bit of pedigree, certainly in Germany, which obviously we've discussed before. You know, a lot of Americans do and 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 out in the Bundesliga and um yeah he, he certainly came with a bit of pedigree but alas obviously hung around for the season after in the championship didn't really dig up any trees i think he had a small injury as well which probably didn't help his time when we was in the championship just didn't didn't get the run of games again he he may could have been you know something a bit better than he turned out to be to be perfectly honest with you yeah he went on to make 10 appearances for derby and then when he left you know he went he went to mls um, and he played for five clubs there. And I know, I remember him at Sporting Kansas City, where I think he retired. He was, was at Sporting Kansas City. And then he went to LAFC um, when they were an expansion team. And I just remember I was watching this LAFC documentary on on one of the ESPN Plus channels here. And he was always around. And I just could not, I was just like, that's the guy who must be terrible because he was at Derby. Um, hmm. Because obviously I don't necessarily follow him <laughs> every week, but he's actually not that bad. He carved out a pretty good little career and obviously going to Derby didn't kill his USA career because a lot of his appearances came after. Um, but yeah, and now he's uh, retired and he has a podcast. Ah, maybe one to get on in the future. Hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm sure he could okay. have some good stories to tell of the 07, 08 season. Yeah, he probably does to be fair. So up next, up next we have, Another one from the doomed Premier League season. I that was a dramatic pause. Eddie Lewis. Eddie Lewis. I remember him. I remember him scoring a goal uh, against Ipswich. If memory serves me right, I, it probably came from Ipswich. If he came from, from no, he came from Leeds. Ah, came from Leeds, and right. he actually had a pretty long career in England. Um, he did. Ahead of, he did. Ahead of his move, he was at uh, Fulham, Preston, and then Leeds, and then obviously went to went to, to went to Derby. Yeah. Um, I do remember made, him scoring. I do remember yeah, him scoring. He made sure tw- he four appearances. Yeah, I, I remember him again. Obviously, thirty-four, probably when he when he signed for Derby. Again, another another one of those that tried to bring in in that season with with proven pedigree in this country. But um, yeah. Probably out of the lot, probably the one that made the most most impact, possibly most appearances. I do remember him playing quite a bit, to be honest with you, uh, on that wing. But, you know, when you're relying on a 34-year-old running down the wing, then uh, you're doomed, really, aren't you? So you're telling me you wouldn't want Eddie Lewis and Gary Teal as your starting wingers? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Back in the day, maybe. Back in the day, but uh, yeah, twenty years not ago. <laughs> when, not, yeah, not not when they came to Derby, that's for sure. Yeah, and so Eddie Lewis, he won eighty-two caps for America, and he played at the two thousand two World Cup, in which America made the quarterfinals. And I remember that because not only was it in Korea, Japan, but it was one of um, it was one of the first times that. Uh, football or soccer became really big here because of the team. Obviously, they had gone and got trounced a couple times in previous World Cups, but we went to that World Cup 
with like just a wing and a prayer. And I was watching some documentary about it the other day. And like, literally the team was just, it was just, it was just such a strange collection of people and they had no hope. And then they ended up getting to the quarterfinals and playing to Germany who eventually were in the final and lost to Brazil. But, and there was like a handball on the line from um, Torsten Frings. I remember sitting in my grandparents' front room watching it. It was like five o'clock in the morning, he handballed it. And I was just, Oh, what are you talking about? Because you know, everybody loves an underdog, especially here. And so Eddie Lewis was part of that magical squad. Um, after I left Derby, he actually did go to LA galaxy and played with David Beckham. Yeah. Well, the, now there's a midfield to be scared of. <laughs> next so, on the list. Next on the list is, you know what? I'm going to go with my favorite American Ram next to Dwayne Holmes. Am I going to do that? Let's do that. Ian Foyer. Ian Foyer. Well, the goalkeeper. What can we say about Ian Foyer? Um, if any Derby fan listening to this can remember him, then well done. Um, he made a very, very two-game brief period, um, I believe in about year 2000, 2001, something like that. Yep. Um, I know. I've. He, he was somebody that I um, opened your horizons to, Corey. Um my God, the man was a big, was big. He, he, uh, six six foot seven tall, had a kick like a mule. Um, and again, as, as we may well know, uh, having done some research on him, um, carved out a half-decent career for himself in England. Um, obviously played in, in an era where, as we've discussed before, you know, the likes of Casey Keller and Brad Friedel were, were, were fermented into that American goalkeeping position. So probably somebody who came along with a career that was unfortunate, really, that he had so much competition. Because I think from, as I said, certainly the brief spell that we saw him at Derby, but obviously at, at West Ham, where he made his career at Luton. Um, pretty good bloody goalkeeper, if you ask me. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, was was dealt an unfair hand at some clubs and, and didn't get the opportunity to shine the way that he did. But with him being one of those first Americans to come over, uh, really. Um, in today's day and age, I think he'd, he'd make himself a, a decent career in England, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, he would. I think he was the first American to sign for a Premier League club. Um, and, you know, he didn't make a lot of appearances for Derby, but he played a lot of games for a lot of different clubs and kind of like a journeyman, but it wasn't necessarily because he wasn't very good. It was just because he always had a, a really good goalkeeper ahead of him. If you look at his statistics, I mean, he had Shaka Hislop ahead of him. He had these really, really fine goalkeepers. And so it was difficult for him to get games. And, and we've, we know um, only one goalkeeper can play at a time. I mean, you could have two, but that'd be a bit silly. I don't think you could actually have two in a game. I think that might be against the rules. I think you can only have one goalkeeper. I don't think you could ever go with like two goalkeepers just because you felt like it. Probably not in net. You could probably start an out, a goalkeeper as an outfield player. You probably could. But yeah, and he, he came to Derby, obviously made his, his, his two things. But um, should, I, should I tell our audiences our surprise, Jason? For those listening, yeah, I th- yeah I think we have an upcoming podcast with Ian Foyer. So interesting guy, nice guy, willing to talk. So that podcast will be dropping soon. Um, so be on the lookout for that one. Um, and he just talks about his, his, his life and his, and his interesting career, um, even, even being a post goalkeeper and his role into coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two left, I believe. There are two left. There are. The next one up is the American John Harks. Which- John Harks. Yeah, he played from 1993 to 1995, and he came from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, yeah. And 
John Harkes actually, when he left Derby, he went, he actually came, he had a short stint at West Ham and then actually played for DC United in the first few years of the MLS. So the MLS started in 1996 and DC United won like the three, three first titles with me being so close to DC and being involved in DC in those early years. Um, he was one of those key players. He was actually a really big player for him. Um, I know his son, Ian Harkes had a, a trial at Derby or um, either last summer or the summer before. Um, but yeah, he played 67 appearances for Derby and scored five goals. Um, and for an American to come in in the early nineties before the 94 world cup, which is, which is remarkable. Um, yeah. and to have that kind of success, which I'll, I'll deem it a success. He, he did well, um, was, was pretty good. And he came, like I said, he came from Sheffield, Wendy, where a good, very good pedigree. Um, he went on actually negative to John Harks. He did have a short stint at Nottingham forest after coming back from DC United, mm-hmm. but then did play for the New England revolution. And he's currently the manager of the Greenville triumph. So that's a USL team. Um, yeah. And he did play 90 times for America, scoring six goals. So he, he, he had to have been half decent to, to make that amount yeah, of appearances for your country. 93, 95, that kind of era. It lit not before my time as such, but certainly before I was well into following Derby. Um, so, yeah, don't remember too much about him, unfortunately. My, my age doesn't doesn't help me with that one but um obviously you know that kind of appear you know that many appearances for the club he was obviously uh, in 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 two seasons was obviously a mainstay of that side so and and moving on to the last and current american of the squad and currently my favorite american um Dwayne Holmes Dwayne Holmes um of which to be perfectly honest with you um the last couple of games he's been he's been rather he, quiet he was poor against forest yeah which, which is a bit important. of a shame. Yeah. It, it, again, obviously, we know he was out injured earlier on this season. He, he's probably still trying to pick up that little bit of bit of match fitness. Um, but we know that, you know, he, he's got that spark. Um, obviously, he, he's had to, because of suspensions, he's had to switch around that midfield a few times in the last three or four games, which probably isn't helping. Obviously, I know he got he got switched out from the right to the left on, uh, on Saturday. And it, it did seem to help him a little bit. But again, I think he's been he's been quiet due to normal stand, you know, under normal circumstances for, for what we've come to see from Dwayne Holmes, and um, he, he's somebody that's I think you know he, he's got a career at Derby. There's no doubt about that. Um, he, he's just unfortunate. He, I hope he doesn't turn into one of those players that's you know incon- too inconsistent, where you know you see lack a lack of him too much. Because um, obviously, if he does turn that way, then I think you can you can say that he'll probably lose his way out of the side. But I still think he's a starter at the moment, and he's certainly on his day. He's one of my favourite players at the moment at the club, just because of the spark that he can bring and the drive and the work ethic that he's got. Um, just don't think we've seen enough of it over the last couple of games. To be perfectly honest with you, yeah, I think um, obviously he's talked about um, his. Want and is 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 want to play for the American team. Um, he did play twice last summer in Gold Cup qualifiers. So the Gold Cup is kind of like the Euros, but for for North for North America for Concacaf qualifying region. Um, he played twice in the qualifiers uh, or for the for the preliminary games. Ended up reaffecting that quad injury that affected him um, to the tail end of the Leeds game, and then obviously that put him out um, for the beginning part of the Kaku regime. He didn't travel to the preseason and everything like that. And then obviously he was thrown in against Forrest, which, which lost 3-0 at the city ground. Um, but I agree with you. I think there is, there's room for him in the side. I think there's room for him to grow and improve. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency in his game. I think sometimes 
Um, you know, Luke in our previous uh, previous segment just talked about, you know, a bit of a microwave player. He can be really hot at times, but he can also go very cold very quickly. Um, I'd like to see him add a few more goals. He's, he's played as of posting that image 55 times and 55 goals and four, 55 appearances in four goals. Um, so I'd like to see him add a bit more goal scoring um, to his thing. And obviously three of those goals were this year. Um, so, you know, I think there's a big future for him. I think he is a bang on starter. Um, and I definitely think for the, for the men's national team, he can, he can be an asset in that midfield area um, because there are a lot of Americans now applying their trade in Germany and Europe. The quality MLS is improving. So there's a lot of com- competition for those spaces at the, um, for the U S team. But I think Dwayne Holmes would definitely be bang on um, one of those. And I know obviously we were, we were talking on the underdog soccer podcast a while ago with, with Maddie and Marcus and, and they love him. They love everything about him. And he's always, um, considered one of those top snubs whenever the whenever the the list is um, put out. So, you know, hopefully, his, hopefully his form continues and, and he can continue in the in the rich vein because he's made an impact in his short stint here. So, hopefully, that can continue longer term. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that uh, that covers the American Rams chat um, that we was going to cover in this podcast. Um, thanks to everybody that got involved with uh, commenting and liking on social medias about that. Uh, and as we say, look out for that podcast with Ian. Uh, that will be dropping in a couple of weeks. Final bit from the podcast this week. It's been a bit of another long one. Um, and so, But we can't obviously leave without just glossing over the um, disappointing, I think, in all fairness, disappointing performance and uh, um, result on Saturday um, against Forest. Obviously, we've mentioned it earlier in the podcast when we were talking to Luke. Just an absolute lack of, I don't know, I hate to say lack of passion because they're clearly trying, but whatever they tried just wasn't coming off. But it was very slow, very laboured, very reminiscent to earlier on at the start of the season where things just weren't quite clicking. Um, Anything that we tried to do, Forrest nullified pretty well. Got to give them credit, unfortunately. I think they defended pretty well. I thought thought they they sailed the stall pretty well. don't get me wrong, we had chances. You know, the ball a couple of times didn't quite drop for us in the box. I remember Max Bird having a chance, just wouldn't quite drop onto his right foot. Um, Lewis Stibler the same, Chris Martin, a couple of headers. But it's a bit of a worry for me going forward that obviously without Waggon now and Lawrence, that our forward, it, it just doesn't fill me at this moment, especially again with as Dwayne Holmes just going off the boil a little bit just recently. Our creativity doesn't look its strongest. And I think that showed on Saturday. Um, I mean, obviously, I appreciate we did score a goal. But that didn't go in. I mean, he could have played for another three hours. I don't think Derby particularly flustered their their back line enough. And you know, the, the two or three, uh, the delivery from crosses, I thought was awful on Saturday. In all fairness, we worked ourselves into one or two half decent chances and, and blazed the cross to the other end of the, the other side of the pitch. And I think that probably the two decent balls that we did get in there, Forest defence looked quite shaky and couldn't clear the lines. And um, you know, for me personally, anytime I see anything like that, you know, when when you put those eyeballs in and you, you see a defence struggling to clear lines. You put the ball in at every opportunity that you can because you get a straight back pass, a straight head, and a deflection, whatever it may well be. And you can find yourself, you know, a goal. You can find yourself, you've got a goal. So I was a bit disappointed with that. Uh, I thought the game got a lot better when Wagon came on for that eight minutes before he got sent off. Um, but yeah, I'd, again, as we discussed a minute ago with Luke, it's, it's a bit worrying um, that we've not got now the strength to come off the bench you know you've got Whitaker's not I mean don't get me wrong I appreciate it, it was his run that, that brought 
the, the free kick from Warrell and the subsequent goal. Um, obviously, are we going to see Hector Ingram on the bench or involved at all on, on Wednesday, which we, which we may well do? Um, I think I think it'd be unfair for him to not be on the bench, to be perfectly honest with you. Obviously, we saw Josef Zoon come on on Saturday. Um, again, didn't like the world up, but you know, it, it was a brief 10-minute spell in, in a game that we, we were chasing. Um, I just think, obviously, the pod previous we discussed, I, I just don't think Derby quite got the tactics right. To be perfect, honest with you, I think I think Forrest set up in a completely different way to what they was expected, what Derby was expecting, and instead of making the change to try and combat that, they just tried to play through it. And obviously, that first fifteen minutes was woeful. Um, letting Lolly score from there is is ridiculous. One of the things that obviously Luke picked up on, you know, with Pereira being able to hit something from twenty five yards, we're not going to close him down, which, which worries me um, for Wednesday. Um, it was a nothing, nothing shot really. Hamer didn't cover himself in glory, but it's, you know, there's, there's two other defenders in front of him there. Forsyth's not covering himself in glory either, and we, we've let him, we've let him run in from the out and, and given him, you know, the, the five seconds that he needs to to put it onto that left wand and, and and stick it into the bottom corner. To be perfectly honest with you, so you know, you, you can point fault at one or two people, but for my opinion, it's it's a, it's a relatively team poor poor goal to concede and then Forrest did what Forrest d- can do they they can sit back they can soak up pressure they can defend and luckily it was a mistake by them that that gave us a point in the end but for me wasn't wasn't great yeah the you pretty much hit on everything I was going to mention the the performance was slow to be honest it was a bit of a turgid performance I know that's a bit very negative term to use but based off of what we didn't see it recently there was no urgency there was no pattern there was a severe lack of pace in the squad um i think matt clark and chris martin were probably the two fastest players which is a worry (laughs) um but it didn't seem like anyone wanted to make a sprint when you know obviously i understand keeping possession i'm not oblivious to that fact that keeping possession helps you helps you in a game but it was just it was just back and sideways and back and sideways and across the center halves and that's not a productive that's not productive possession if you look at I watched Manchester City last night. They were keeping the ball against um, um, Southampton, but they were trying. They were being productive with it. There was movement ahead of them. There was very little movement. Obviously, Chris Martin is not that mobile. He even tried to make some runs because I think he saw that it was where it was going at the time. Um, and I think you're right, Jason. And, and we needed a bit more experience in midfield. Sibley was was pretty much very well marshaled out the game. I don't think he really had a kick. He didn't have any influence on it. Um, the one thing I'll point out is Rain Rooney. His passing has been very below average the last few games. He's given a lot of balls away cheaply to the wrong shirt for literally no reason. That should be easy passes, which is a bit of a concern. Hopefully he gets that fixed. I'm sure he will, but I saw it against Preston in the second half, and I saw it a lot against Forrest. I think he gave three or four passes away that just led them to, to a breakaway. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Matt Clark, we, we already talked about that. He did an immense job on Lewis Graben. Graben's a dangerous striker. However, you know, let's not disrespect the guy because he plays for Nottingham Forest. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a top-class championship striker, and he deserves yeah. that respect. And, and he did a good job marshalling him. Um, there just didn't seem to be a cutting edge. I think we missed Lawrence. Um, I think, obviously, it was a bit strange that Waghorn didn't start because he played well against Preston. I thought he probably yeah. should have started ahead of Knight. Knight was very poor, I thought. I thought Holmes was poor. Um, but, you know, Waghorn came on. He made it. He, he seemed like he was making a difference. And at first viewing, that 
just looked like a shoulder to shoulder. Both people fell over, and I saw the replay. And to be honest with you, he's lucky he didn't make contact with Yates' leg because it would have broke it. Um, yeah. and, and to be honest, he's, he's a lucky boy that obviously you can't get worse than a red card, but he's lucky you couldn't get worse than a three-game suspension because it deserves worse than a three-game suspension. I don't think there can be any arguments. And I know he obviously apologized to the team afterwards, so we're not going to harp on that. People make mistakes. It's it's a long season. That stuff happens. Um, yeah, and and – you know, I, I, when we were talking to Rich in the last one, I kind of said that Joe Worrell was a thug and Rich was kind of like, I'd never heard that before, but the, why he makes that tackle on Morgan Whitaker, just. It, there's, yeah, there's no need. Whitaker's not getting to the ball. And either, even if he does, I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in Morgan Whitaker to bury that chance at his age, but he literally just rugby tackles him for no reason. Um, and, and you know what, we get, a, we get a bit of luck. It's again, Rooney puts a, puts a free kick in. We've seen Rooney, you know, score a free kick a couple weeks ago. He scored a penalty, but his, his, his ability from set pieces is, is quite good. And I don't think it was necessarily um, the greatest set piece. I think it was a bit overhit, but obviously Sam McCain didn't get there. And anytime the keeper comes and doesn't get there, you have a chance, a bit of a scramble and Chris Martin does what Chris Martin does. And I know me and you are part of the Chris Martin fan club as well as mm-hmm. the Wade Holmes fan club, but you know, credit where credit's due. He's at the right place, right time. And he, and he bangs it in and you know, um, I mean, I don't know what else. I don't know what else we can say. Really, it's just the performance was just so poor. I was pleased personally to see Yazif Zoon come off the bench. I think it was a more positive change than bringing up Whitaker. Because when he was bringing up Whitaker, I literally thought, "What? What on earth are you doing? You're chasing game." But then you look at the bench, and there's nobody there. No. Um, but you know, Yazif Zoon didn't have too much to do. Um, he didn't. He, he got on the ball a couple times. He made a couple passes. He didn't do any harm. He didn't do any good. Um, I think he had one misplaced cross. And I think from what I've seen with the fan base is people are like, well, Yosef's a miscut across. Yeah, he did. Cause he's not played in like four months. So yeah. you try to go out there if you've not played for four months and that would happen. So, um, you I know, can, I, I, can see him, I can see him playing on Wednesday to be fair. Yeah. I think, I think he'll start because just of the I severe lack of pain. I don't think Knight's been, don't get me wrong. He's not a winger. Uh, he yeah. played that one game against Sheffield Wednesday out on the wing where he, he scored. Obviously, it looked looked a pretty decent, um, pretty decent prospect out wide. But he, he's no winger. He's no winger. Yosef Zoon is an out and out winger. So I think you've got to. Whilst Lawrence isn't available until obviously Saturday, I, I think it'd be unfair to not give a winger a go in the winger's position when you're putting square pegs in round holes. Otherwise, yeah. Um, and I mean, I think you know at some point. If, you, if you're not going to put Yosef Zoon there, Lowe's got to play there, Bogle's got to play there, because we, we, they've got to have some sort of pace up front. We've got f- three left backs that are all fit. So you can, you can move a left back further up the field. I know Lowe's played there before. He's not a winger, but again, this is square pegs and round holes. But I still think Yosef Zoon can come good, and I, I would still really like him for the, for the person, for, for the crap that he takes from the fans, from the fan base, to kind of turn it around. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can draw a line under that performance. They'll have talked about it, I'm sure. Um, Rooney and both Philip Gaku would have um, had a discussions about the performance and hopefully that won't happen again, which is why I went for the prediction that I went for um, because I don't think it's going to happen. You know, it's already been now a game and a half on the trot. I don't think it's going to go for another one. It can't because if you're going to play football like that, you, you might as well just give up the season because there's no, you're not even competitive because if you come up and playing like that against Brentford, they'll get 10 or 15 goals. Yeah, no, um, I, I fully agree with you. The one other thing I will say is that every time we got the ball into the – sorry, every time Darby got the ball into the box, Forrest did look at sixes and sevens inside the 18-yard box. Really? It was just the amount of touches that they had inside the box was very slim. 
but yeah. there were two or three uh, long throws from Holmes, which is one of the positives that he did bring. Um, and then obviously the, the free kick from Rooney and it, and had we had the, had the, had Darby gotten the ball into the 18 yard box or anywhere in that area a bit more, I think um, we would have, they would have caused more problems, but when you, when you can't get into that box, um, you know, it's difficult. And it's the old adage. If you don't shoot, you don't score. If you don't score, you lose games. And then, you know, everybody gets fired and manager gets sacked and you get relegated. So, you know, just, just have a pop. Don't be scared because when you shoot it, things can happen. Like we saw with Joe Lolly and, and they might go and we've seen that we can shoot from distance um, with Tommy Lawrence before, obviously he's not in the side, but I'm sure other people have got a decent shot on him too. So, you know, if instead of passing the ball and giving it away, just, just have a pop, see what happens. It might go in. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Um, as you just to tie what you said there again, yeah, I agree. Too too negative, too negative uh, for for that for that type of game. I don't know if they were scared of losing it, you know, that kind of thing. I, I really don't know, but it was it was a bit too negative, and you're quite right. That can't be uh, that that can't happen again on um, on Wednesday night. Because in all fairness, I don't think Forest actually threatened Derby all that much. I thought we looked quite comfortable at the back. To be perfectly honest with you, I wasn't. I wasn't too worried. Obviously, um, Crabbin missed that chance, which he should bury. You know, you put your house on that. Um, but other than that, I, I thought you know, I would say we call out Clark and for for a good performance. I thought defensively as a whole, I thought we was pretty pretty half decent at the back. But we weren't really challenged. And I think obviously come Wednesday night, if if West Brom turn up in the form that they're in at the minute um, with seven goals in two games, then you know we're, we're going to be in for we're going to be in for a battle. So we're going to have to we're going to have to dig in there and. Uh, and certainly perform better, like you say, than the last game and a half's worth, to be perfectly honest with you. But that's for, that's for us to review in the next podcast later on in the week when we will cover that and obviously um, preview the Brentford game. My thanks, Corey, goes out to you as always. Jason, you're more than welcome. I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, and thanks everybody for listening. Um, hopefully it's not too much content for you. Um, you're probably sick of hearing our voices, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Um, and hopefully a, a, a better performance from Derby on, on Wednesday and another another positive result, fingers crossed. Um, and we will reconvene on later on in the week, Thursday or Friday. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care and up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Please remember to get in touch on the socials. On Twitter, we are at RamsReview1. Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much and up the Rams. <laughs>